Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to Benchcast. I'm Neville O'Donoghue, and this is a podcast for bench warmers. Listen to me now, listen to me. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. We're going to do it. Tyson Fury. It's Torres to give Chelsea a place in the Champions League final. The headline has been written. You're a county? Absolutely not. That's a load of rubbish, by Sean, to be quite honest. Uh, He's a disgrace to have a football club. What a belt he's given it. I, 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 I love I love I love me county, you know. We love Jamalans. Yeah! On the show today, I have Munster and Irish tighthead prop John Ryan. I also have Alan Crockwell from Sunday's Well, who brought the mixed ability World Cup to Cork last week. This show is coming live from Megiddigans in Dubai, where I'll be for the summer. So come in. I'll be there every weekend. Give me your thoughts on any of the weekend's matches, and I'll put you up on any of the accounts. With that. Hope you enjoy the pod. John Ryan. John, how are you? How are you, Nev? Not too bad. Um, so we were kind of talking there off air. Uh, you were saying you're officially left the WhatsApp group. And um, I suppose you're you're moving to Wasps. I, I always struggle to pronounce that. Uh, but um, I suppose, look, looking back on, what was it, 11 years of Munster? Must have been, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, 11 years. Um, so I fell in the door and just the opportunities came knocking. So I was playing with you in UCC. And, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. thanks for the plug there, yeah. Welcome. And, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just got a contract in 2011 and kind of gradually I stuck in there like and uh, probably got a bit of momentum maybe halfway through my time there and it's, it's been brilliant. All right, let's let's uh, let's let's go back to the start anyway. You're you're from Inishkara, and I suppose did you start playing your rugby first with Musgrave, Was it? Yeah, Musgrave. They started playing when I was about nine, nine or ten. Um, I was probably late to it. Uh, well, that's not that late, but late to it with regards to like let some fellas be starting at six or whatever up in Musgrave. I I never wasn't. We weren't really a Musgrave family or a, a, a rugby family. Should I say all our families GA like. Playing within the scar and stuff, so yeah, and I know you kind of started uh, started turning people to the dark. So playing the foreign sports so over in Moscow, playing rugby. So myself, my brother, and my younger brother again, two younger brothers followed, and yeah, it's, that's where we started. All right, and then obviously you went on. Obviously, the next the next natural step was to go to Christians, I suppose. Like if if you weren't into the rugby, would you went somewhere else, or was it just that the Christians come calling for you, or how did it come about? No, my brother was in there. Um, Tom, my brother, played probably first year, um, but he didn't kick on. He kind of stuck to the soccer and stuff, and he was happy playing that. And uh, I just followed him in. It just by chance I was going to a rugby school, and I loved rugby, and I was kind of stepping away. I still played hurling football, but I was, rugby was the first love anyway. And yeah, I went into Christians, and I knew then that they took that very seriously inside there. Right. Is that when you really started playing the rugby? Like, because, like, like obviously, I just played local rugby, but like, I kind of started off playing with y'all and then I moved on to school, you know. But, like, did you play a nice bit with Musgrave or was it was Christians where it really started? 
probably like you know in fairness Moscow is where I kind of developed my love for it because I was a big young fella and maybe I wasn't turning as quick as the other young fellas in hurling so rugby really suited me and uh, I definitely would I, I that's where it did start for me and then Christians brought it up on another level and the coaching as well and Christians I seem to take it very very seriously so there's about four different teams in first year so you kind of you want to be up in the A team so as lucky as up there from yeah. the start and kind of Ball kept rolling from there. What do you think of them? I suppose with the podcast, I can ask anything, John. I suppose what do you think of uh, Christians gone good at hurling now? Would you be for that or against that? Yeah, I, I don't mind. They're, they're kind of sticking at both. Like they want a senior cup. They're recently as well. Like so, the senior cups aren't coming as ticking fast as they used to for Christians, but they're still winning them and they're knocking around the the heart as well. And um, sure, does you see that in, in Limerick as well in our school? Yeah, they're doing yeah. the same. So it's it's kind of it's, it's good to see see both those sports flying and I think in fairness they always kind of had a good little soccer team as well so there's good diverse kind of sport and Christians and they just got to start winning things now. No, definitely. And then I suppose then you went on to play with UCC and why UCC and not straight away? Why did you go to Cork on? Like, did you want to play with your own age group? Was it and I suppose after crack? I suppose was it. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, I I don't know. Like to be honest, I I think it's more common now. Maybe I'm wrong, but I felt like if I went to Corkham, I might fall between the cracks a bit, and maybe I need to ease my development up along. But you see lads flying into senior teams now at, at, after school, like going to AIL uh, straight away, which I I didn't think was that common to be honest. But no, I went in for the crack as well, obviously. Um, yeah. And when I was in there, I was in the academy sub academy for the first two years, and then I was kind of left go to the sub academy so I think developmentally I had to take baby steps rather than jumping straight over to Carcon who had a really good team at the time yeah no I think um, you, you actually I John Egan on there a few weeks ago the centre back for Ireland and he, he really had to work hard to make a career for himself you know and I think you're kind of something similar like you got left go from the sub academy and then I even thought you got overlooked a few times which was unfair you know um, so like I suppose would you tell me about the value of sticking at it and just keep going at it you know yeah um, I kind of got left go we'll say I don't know it was late in the year we'll say 2009 or something and you know I had a really good summer that year uh, too good a summer I bloody went very hard at just concerts and going off and lads holidays and stuff so I um I got kind of clip around the year off CT uh, Connor Toomey was were chatting and uh, himself I don't remember Gary Byrne and Jeff Gomez they brought me into a room and said we think you can play a professional rugby so I was like really I don't know what that like but because I was in poor old Nick at the time and they just gave me to Jeff Gomez who's the performance strength conditioning coach and uh, he whipped me into shape and sort of you know it started the steps of getting back onto the track of becoming a professional rugby player which I probably gave up on after I got dropped to be honest but like I gave up on it for maybe two months and then I was like back on it again and decided to concentrate on my, my, my uh, UCC rugby and didn't focus on anything else and it really worked out as well worked yeah. out well for me uh, John Kelly had a big part as well didn't he did he write some piece in the article saying you were one to watch or something didn't he yeah John Kelly was uh, coaching us in UCC at the time he was a defence coach he was very good and he, uh, in fairness, he always did push me like he thought I was a good player. He just thought I, he, he always said that I was good. 
understanding the game with regard to defence because I wasn't the most mobile, but I, I didn't get caught out too much in defence. So he liked that, I suppose. But he, uh, yeah, he definitely always put in a good word for me. And um, yeah. yeah, he was one of the fellas who steered me in that direction, right? Yeah, and then I suppose then we'll move on to the professional game, then John. Like, um, like you said, you played 11 years of Munster, but I think the real time you really turned the corner was it in 2016 against the Dragons. I think you had a very good game that day, and that really shot you on and you know, and we got you into the Irish camp as well, like didn't it? Yeah, like I, was, I said to you, it was a slow burner, like I was getting you know, five or ten caps each year, and then also in the 16, 20 caps. And that year, I played nearly 20, I think it was like 27 or 28 games, and I started 24 of them or something. It was a crazy year, like it was a big change for me, like. And yeah, I think that was pretty early on, that Dragons game. Uh, and the week after, I'm pretty sure we played Cardiff and Musgrave Park and lost. And uh, we got an absolute kicking off the Razzie Rasmus at the time. And I really spurred us on. I think we did very well that season. Obviously, other things happened that season as well. But um, yeah, that Dragons game and a few others, that Glasgow game after Axel passed away, that was a huge game for us as well in terms of momentum building. Like, But uh, yeah. it was definitely a better year. Like, that, those few games at the start of that season kicked me on to get my debut in for Ireland in November. Yeah, no, like, look, I think you did very well with Munster, but like looking back on your time, like, would you be disappointed that you didn't win a trophy at some stage? Because I suppose that's what a lot of players, or a lot of teams get judged on, you know, and it's been a long time now since Munster won a Champions yeah. Cup or a Rabo. Like, what do you think, uh, disappointed with that? Yeah, it's tough. Like, you know, I've been there for 10 years. I probably came, I came in, like, in the middle of a season in 2011, so January 2011, I came to 2010-11 when they won the, the Magnus League. And that was my first season. So... You win a cup, you think things might kick on from there and just, you don't get that close again. We were in two finals since, um, three finals since, yeah, three finals since in the league and lost all three of them like, to, to three different teams like Glasgow, Scarlets and Leinster. So, yeah, not a not nice feeling to be part of once for 11 years and, and be that fella in the team who hasn't won anything. And to be fair, there's not many lads in that team who've won much uh, with Munster, so I hope that changes for them too. Yeah, hopefully. Um, then talking about Ireland, John, um, like, like you, like obviously Joe Smith had a had a soft spot for you. Well, obviously you were a very good player too. Like, but um, I think you won twenty four caps for Ireland, and like, in my opinion, like, like, I, I, I'd still rate you as probably this. I, I do have a lot of time for Marty Moore up in Ulster. I think he's a very good tight head too. But I'd probably rate you as the second, if not the third best tight head in Ireland. So, but like, I suppose what was probably your undoing, I thought maybe that time was the time against France, was it? Do you remember that time when Johnny Sexton got that last minute drop goal, you know? Yeah. So like, you find it probably hard to get back in after that, but when you were with Ireland, you surely definitely enjoyed it and what an honour to play for yeah. your country. I didn't, um, I loved every minute of uh, Ireland, but it was just like, there seems to have been a drought of tight heads for, Years and then all of a sudden you get, you know, Ty Farlong comes along and then you have uh, Andrew Porter comes along and now he's gone loose at now. But they all came in a big, you know, all at once and it's kind of unfortunate because I thought it was good enough to be there. But um, look, that France game, I think, geez, I don't know. I, I thought that was I played that game. We conceded one penalty in that game in the scrum, but like we actually rinsed them. Other than that, we one penalty and he might kicked it, put us under a bit of pressure. 
and we've obviously Johnny got that drop goal but after that that was the point where like I didn't I didn't play the next two games and I played a game after um, so I only played two of that Grand Slam Grand Slam uh, tournament like uh, that we won anyway and yeah the my my caps came more sparsely after that, so no, it's it's something I really enjoy. Joe did like me; he kind of liked what I brought as a set piece tight head. I wasn't making line breaks on him a little bit or anything, but I was I was good at what he did, and he he respected that. And luckily, when I was a monster and probably coming off the bench as an impact player, which nobody wants to be called, they don't want to be an impact player; they want to start all the time. So I was this impact player and Joe Schmidt still picked me, which I really appreciate because it got me to that World Cup in 2019. Well, like you got 24 caps, like, you know, that's not bad at all, like, you know, so you must look back on it with good uh, memories. But, um, and also like there's, there's some very good tight heads in there. Even like, like obviously we both know Stephen Archer too and like I'd have massive time for him as well, like, you know, but um, I suppose then like, uh, the other question then on actually then, John, is that, um, Joe Smith, that's what I wanted to ask you about, was uh, what was it like to be coached by him? Because, like, everyone says that, like, if you're a player, he'd give you a big booklet, you know, of stuff. And, like, a lot of people now saying Andy Farrell gives you more freedom to play, you know. But what was it like to be under Joe Smith? Yeah, Joe, you go in and you know it. Like, the one thing with Joe is it was a, I loved the man and he had good time for me, as you said. But, like, you go in and you'd be feared up. Your stay at a camp, you're feared up, like, you're, you're just after getting off the pitch after playing a game, a European game, most likely the day before, two days before, and you're already trying to forget all the stuff you've learned in your province and learn all Joe's detail because you go into Joe and he expects you to know it straight away and yeah. he'll draw. You go in and everyone's watching him like because he makes a move for the whiteboard and he starts drawing up the plays. So you have all your scum plays, all your lineup plays, and there's a crowd around and writing all their detail. And then in an hour's time, you're going to be walking through that in the, in the hall in the hotel. And if you don't know your detail, he looks to make an example of someone, maybe the first day, yeah. to drive a bit of fear into fellas so that they know their detail. And it worked very well for him, but it was bloody stressful. Like, And um, yeah, he, you, you knew your detail. There was always someone made an example of, I got it once in however many years I had him. So <laughs> it was grand. But then I was, I'd been up in uh, Andy Farrell's camp a few times. And he just doesn't want that. He'd come in, you walk through the place, you make a mistake, you do it again. There's no, it's a less stressful environment and that works too. Like, so they both work. Obviously, the less stressful environment would be better, but you can't deny that Joe had some serious success. And she wasn't, a, I know World Cups haven't been our strong point in Ireland, but going to world number one at one stage was pretty incredible, like for a country like us. No, definitely. Like just looking at the the Leinster match, I suppose the last few the last few weeks, Tyke Furlong's really come under the cosh, a tight head. Like you know, like is that a concern? Would you be worried about that going into you know the summer tour and the World Cups? Like you know that because like I obviously I played prop as well, but to be honest, I take my hat off to tight heads, especially like it's a disgusting sport, and then you're expected to be fit and get around the pitch then as well, like you know. But like. Would you be worried about that, like, you know? And, like, also on your own personal side, John, like, I'd like to know, who was the toughest scrummager you came up against? I'll go with the Tyke for a long time first. There's no fear to Tyke's. Sure, he's, he'll keep going forever. He's a, he's got a serious record against New Zealand, so I wouldn't be too worried about him down there against them. Like, they might target the, the scrum a bit because, like, maybe the scrum has come under pressure a few times, but... 
I think our scrum in Munster, like we, we, ended, we both went up against the same pack against Toulouse, like they were animals. And yeah. sure, La Rochelle aren't small boys either. So it's those bigger packs are the ones that are going to come after you and use that size. And I think, um, yeah, I think there's no fear of him. He'll be, he'll be fine. Like he'll, uh, he'll go well over the summer again if he can stay fit and stuff. So, yeah. and regard to me, who's the best scrummer gone against? Um, to be fair, this year has been pretty. Like there's been a few that have been quite good, like um um I suppose Siri Boy, like he's quite a strong scrummer. I I thought I had him a few times and he caught me one right, uh, which was very disappointing. Uh there's a few like in fairness, there's you could name a lot of them like Ellis Ginger scrummage against Symbol. Uh when he I say he was quite young, he might have been twenty-one at the time, and he was an animal then, like and he's probably a bit better now again. So um, what about yeah, Mako Vinopola? Isn't it like I remember? He's a good scrummer. He's decent when he like. I I think my my style of suits doesn't suit him that much. So I, I wouldn't have. He's caught me in a few now, no doubt, because I play against him probably more than any other Premiership prop. So I'd say we're nearly breaking even for who's won what penalties on the other. So I, yeah. I wouldn't mind him too much. It's the real hard kind of attacking ones like Ellis Gentry. I'll be seeing a lot next year. I'm sure. Be, be with Bristol. James Cronin will be with uh, Leicester, so I'll be up against him. He's tough. Yeah. Uh, yes, there'll be a lot of fellas there, like and um, Alec Hepburn as well. Quite good with Leicester. He 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 had a good uh, few scrums against us over in Sandy Park uh, last uh, when we were playing. Jesus, I don't know March or May. So. And then, like, how, like, yeah. you you have to do you have to put the work in because I remember one day we were playing Clontarf and I was on the bench and. I was raging. I didn't get on, and I remember you saying to me after the game, "You're glad you didn't get on there, like you know, but, uh, because this, I could see it. Like they were monsters, Clanterf, and we were only youngflies, I suppose. But like, I just wonder, like, when I see, like, when I see lads playing with Ireland or Munster, I always wonder, like, how do they get to that level, you know? Because the, the, it must just be ferocious in the front row, like you know. I suppose just tell me about like the training and the work and the gym work you have to put in. Yeah, it's kind of. I'd say, yeah, the gym rock was definitely part of it. Just get, you know, everyone says, oh, he's, he's only a young fella, you know, when you're about 28, you'll reach your real peak as yeah. a pop. But like, you see, like, Andrew Porter and Tyg and all, they did it quite young, but they'll get stronger, which is mad because, like, you get almost like an old man's strength or almost a stubbornness about you that you, you won't give up, but it's the reps and training. It's all about getting reps and training. Like, I'm still getting holes in a, in a scrum and training, but like, it depends on who you're with, it depends on who you're against. You have to adapt and train, you're constantly adapting because no two loose heads scrum is the same and for a title to go up against a fella and adapt, you might get beaten the first time you go back and the second time you kill him, like, but it's all about getting reps and a variety of different opposition as well, I think is very important. And they always say, oh, if you lose a scrum, you learn something and you actually do like, because, I know what I did there now and I won't be doing that again. That's what you'd be thinking right. to yourself because you, you might try attack and you might absolutely be fool's gold and you get turned upside down. Like, so it's, yeah. uh, it's all getting reps, really. No, definitely. The, the scrum, just finally on the scrum, like it's it's definitely, it's it's as important now more than ever, like, isn't it? Because if you remember the last World Cup, South Africa beat England by destroying them in the scrum, like, you know, and if you look at even the Champions Cup two weeks ago, it was Leinster, I thought, were under pressure in the scrum and that's what one La Rochelle, the European Cup, you know? Yeah, I think it's a focus and it's like 
maybe the focus got away from set piece sometimes because you'll get away with it against a lot of teams, but then you come up against the Larishels and the Toulouses and you get bloody killed and thrown out the gate and like France, very strong set piece for against Ireland and you know, like it's an area people will target. Um so I think uh you need to be good at the, your basics and uh, I'm a firm believer in that and I, I just that was one game that I always refer to is that South Africa England game. Because Sinclair goes down within a minute or two and poor Dan goes to go on. Uh, yeah, the beast just turned the winds out. No, definitely. Um, finally, uh, I suppose, final two questions, John, is that, um, oh, geez, oh yeah, you're heading on to Wasp now. Um, uh, you're starting with them. When, when will the pre-season start? And have they given you a programme now or do you have a few weeks off or how does it work? So I uh, trained um, last week, Munster, and I think they were off. So unfortunately, I won't get that week back. I'm gonna go back on the 11th, which is quite early. But I start the 11th of July, and um, I'm I took this week off, and I'll start working now again next week. Just doing a good bit of running and just weights and stuff. Next week I'll start tipping away, and then do I have to go running the 11th because games start quite early. So uh, I'd say there won't be short again to make sure I hope for myself and yeah. I'll be fit, I hope now. And what, did you sign a two or three year contract? And I suppose when you're finished with Wasps, is that, you'll probably hang up the boots after that, would you? I would never say, never know, I wouldn't say that, no. Uh, I'll play two years in over there. We'll see, we'll reassess then and I have an option of taking another year. But um, that'll bring me to 36, 37. Sure, I might have plenty left to me then, you never know. You're like, not to like, I know you had good success in Munster, but like, are you looking forward to this different challenge? Like, you're looking like, you know, you know, it's exciting times, like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, it's obviously something I didn't want to do. Like, I, I wanted to finish my, my, my rugby in, in Munster and win something in Munster, but when you're not given that choice, you, you're, you're, your trail of thought changes straight away. So, like, I I'm very excited to go over there. Like I'll be playing against quality teams week in, week out. Um, there's no easy games in the Premiership, so and I'll be seeing a lot of familiar faces over there as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that Leicester match. You now I hope myself and Jamesy Crone and be up against each other. It'll be funny. Um, <laughs> that'll be some wicked war between the two of us. No, he sent me. He sent me a personal message there to. Uh, to ask you a question, but I said I'd leave it off. It wasn't very appropriate. But um, so you got a few of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. What um, the last thing? The last is uh, I know your family going to stay in Limerick, then, John, or what's going to happen? Or yeah, they will be doing a bit of boat. Like they're going to we're going to keep the house here in Limerick. My son Felix going to go to school down below the road. It's only two hundred and fifty yards away. Uh, so he'll go there, and then they'll come over to me for the summer, and we'll be back and forth then for a year. So. It'll be we'll do that for a year in a minute and see. And um should we can always change it and come over at some stage. You're going um what's what what would you like to do when you finally hang up the boots? Like I know you you have a degree in arts, don't you? Like what would you like to get into? Yeah, I kind of was as I say when I was dropped out of the academy, I was finished finishing up college and uh I got my arts degree and I was going to do a H dip and go teaching. So that's still on the cards. Uh, I did a a master's in strength conditioning as well, so like I can put that to use, and uh, we'll see. If I still haven't made that choice. I have a few years to decide. All right, and I suppose I got final few questions. Is um, 
if advice to young players, what advice would you give to a young player, a young prop coming up? Young prop, um, just really get the, the neck working early. Um, you see a lot of lads and, you know, neck issues there. I even see it now in, in, in professional rugby, like just get the neck working early, the strength work and loads of reps. Keep bloody going, even though if you're getting hammered, because we were talking about the UCC days there, we were getting hammered week in, week out, and I got a I got a, a contract off, off the back of going backwards in the scrum like. But uh, I um yeah, sure toyed it when I was first trying moving across. It's very difficult. So yeah, just stick at it and get strong, get your neck strong and um, plenty of reps and just don't be disheartened by losing the scrum because I'm still losing scrums. Right. If you were to have a fancy dinner tomorrow or whatever, and you, you could only invite three people, who would you invite? Questions. <laughs> uh, geez, Nev, I nearly have you there. I have you there. Uh, no, forget, forget about me, no. No, I'm talking like a, a celebrity or something. Yeah, you're a celebrity, aren't you? Am I? <laughs> I'd have you in a minute, for I'm sure. Go on. Go on. You're a celebrity. Um, who else would I bring, man? I don't Stop, know. Like, would you have Mike Tyson or. Uh, Robert De Niro, or you know, that's what we go for. Um, this is probably difficult now. Like, all right, we'll bring a we'll bring Barack Obama yourself. That'll be a good conversation, and I will bring someone totally left field now. Uh, Conor McGregor, yeah, all right. I don't think Barack Obama, I don't think Obama would understand the word at that dinner table, but anyway, so. Uh, finally, John, I do this to all my guests. Um, questions in sixty seconds. All right. So, really, it's gonna be a problem, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, favorite food? Jeez, boring chicken, not chicken, all that. Favorite golf course? Florida. Um, how often do you do your dirty laundry? Every two days. Westlife, Westlife or boys on? Uh, Westlife. Win the Soccer World Cup or win the Masters? Masters. Favourite holiday? Boring again, West Cork. Sorry. Um, uh, who would play you in a movie? Uh, play me now. Vincent Cock. <laughs> uh, leg day or chest day? Oh, I got like that. Um, and what is something you've never tried but want to? Oh, man. Uh, school diving. And best book you ever read? I'm a big reader now. Jeez, I would be a big reader. Like, I generally wouldn't. I wouldn't read it all. Like, like a movie, like. <laughs> you ever chocolate bear? Snickers. And finally, tea or coffee? Coffee, 100%. Oh, well Thanks a million, John. So, Nev, command yourself. Alan Crockwell. I hope I got that right. Alan, uh, how are you, lad? I'm, I'm very good, Nev, very good. Uh, it's good to see you. Yeah, cheers. Um, a big congratulations. Um, the reason I have you on the pod is you're one of the main men that's behind the IMART uh, last week out in... Musgrave Park with Sunday as well and uh, it, I would have loved to be been there for it but it looked like a massive success so a big congrats to you 
Thanks, Nev. Yeah, geez, it was a look a combination of a lot of hard work and and I suppose eight years of kind of persevering the whole concept of mixed ability rugby. Um, and for those who listen in here, I suppose mixed ability, um, it's not to be confused with different abilities of disability. It literally is mixed ability. It's from Anthony from uh, Siski, who's probably one of the most capped players in the well, right down to, you know, somebody who be, could be, uh, have, you know, had a different kind of, uh, upbringing or bringing into life than the rest of us like because of disability or whatever their circumstances are and then the likes of me who couldn't catch a ball if you threw it up in the air because it'll just like a bar of soap and flick out of my hands so definitely mixed ability every ability and all all everybody just it's it's sport for all really we'll go we'll go back to the start right because i know this was a long time in the making i remember if you was back in 2016 or 17 we did a charity night boxing to raise money for it yeah, yeah. Um, but like like how did this all come about like because is this the first mixed ability team in Ireland like was so there mixed ability rugby teams already all around the world or what like like 2013 um, I came across an article in Rugby World magazine and actually Alan Perry he they are the guy who wrote it was over uh, in Sunday as well for the week he's going to write another article on, on the whole follow of it but picked up an article it was in the local physio uh, across the road from me here uh, with a shoulder injury from swimming of all things far away from rugby but working in the area of disabilities um and i was working with likes of you know uh, some of the guys that i've been working with who would have mild or moderate intellectual disabilities but physically they're well able they're well able so i said these guys uh gotta know what rugby is like you know really staunch monster men and me being originally from banlasloe in, in galway like you know a connacht fan Look, I was at the butt of a lot of their jokes. I said, you know what? No, let's see what happens. We throw them out on the back pitch in Musgrave Park on Sunday as well on a mucky uh, Friday evening. Uh, and we'll let's have, have, you know, let's see what it's like. And I suppose I took one of my cues really from James, one of the players. He, his attitude towards all this, and I suppose when you, you've come through disability sports, you're generally graded or you're, you're um, you know, you're, you're, you're categorized as to your level of disability and it, it then affects your level of what competition you can get involved in. So generally you're never going to be involved in your local club because it'll be a special club for you. Uh, and that's what happens. And these on merit, like the Special Olympics, the Paralympics and all of that, like, I mean, they're excellent organizations, you know, they give such a great outlet to many, but there is a, there was a need from, from a lot of the guys who just wanted to be part of their own local club, um, go down and play um, like the rest of, rest of us. Um, so we had a call out in Sunday as well. Uh, Lee Marr, actually, uh, one of my, I suppose, uh, partners in crime at this stage, yeah. uh, was involved in the club. Uh, his son was playing, so I brought the idea to him and said, what do you think of this? Um, the article was about two teams, a team from Clenetley and a team from Bradford back playing, you know, and there was this picture in it that just rang home to me. And it was like being inside in, in, in the clubhouse bar inside in Sunday as well, or any club rugby clubhouse. It was that typical scene of, you know, lads go out and play a match and they hammer the crap out of each other and then come back to the clubhouse and sing crappy rugby songs in a couple of old pints. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, why can't people of all abilities just, and regardless of disabilities, just enjoy that part? It's magic. That's the magical part of rugby. You know, it's that social element of rugby. So I, I suppose I went and I researched all of this and I went and I found out all the people that were involved in it. Like, so this has been going on for the last 30 years in Wales um, the Swansea Gladiators and the Clenetley Warriors 
they, they both have celebrated their 30th anniversary, the 25th anniversaries uh, uh, over the last year or two. Um, and they've kind of, I suppose, I liken rugby in Wales is like what hurling is in, in Kilkenny. If there's something wrong with you, if you're not hurling in Kilkenny, yeah, and yeah. there's something really wrong with you if you're not playing rugby in Wales. So it, it's just in them. And I suppose they never made an issue of whether there was people with disabilities. They just, as one of the lads said to me one time, you don't need an IQ to play on a rugby field, you know, and <laughs> nobody checks their IQ and they go on. So look, it's that sense of freedom of just let people play. Um, brought at the club, we started off, say, with 13 guys turned up one Friday night. And you, you've, you've, like, look, you, you're a member of Sunday as well. You've seen this team grow over the years. You've seen how many people have played it from senior captains to, you know, various touring teams we've had, um, ex-players coming back to the club, playing, um, you know, new players coming that never played rugby before, uh, players from other teams. We even have a couple of people in from Highfield, you know, yeah. uh, so and Middleton, you know, different yeah, yeah, yeah. R- rival clubs. And, and yeah. you've seen us play play junior sides, Khan and Dolphin and various sides. So, like, I suppose at this point, I suppose we've nearly had, we've generally a roster of around 50, but like, I mean, I'd say nearly 100, 150 players around the club have actually played with, with the Rebels at this stage. We were Ireland's only uh, mixed ability team uh, when we started. And, um, you know, I suppose it, it was unique. It was a bit of madness. Why would you put people who are generally a vulnerable adult or something into a situation where they're playing contact rugby? And just to make it clear in terms of what we play at mixed ability, we play under world rugby rules. Um, the only difference is we have uncontested scrums. So you're rucking, you're counter-rucking, you're lifting the line out, you're, you know, you're playing every part of the game. And obviously the biggest thing is common sense. You know, like Nev, if you're running at me, I'm going to step out of your way. <laughs> I want to go to work next Monday. Uh, but, and that comes into it. And if you think about it from a coaching and an, a player development point of view, mixability rugby is really going to progress players because it's about heads up rugby. You've got to assess the situation in front of you. So if somebody's visibly weaker or they're a def- deficit and you're an experienced player, well, then you've got to tone down your level of uh, tackle or whatever, and you've got to take care of them in, within that situation. If it's yourself and, say, somebody like Siski, well, then, you know, you know you can have a, a ding-dong battle at it. And, like, if that that's, that's what, like, a lot of elite coaches do, want their players to be is to be situational players and they want to be able to assess the, the levels of ability in front of them you know whether it's you know at the highest level where you know you have you know you have your your you're your back and you're running against a forward or you're running against somebody who's slower than you so from that point of view there's a little bit of a caveat there from what people are learning and I suppose that's the feedback we've got from experienced players is you do a lot more running a lot more talking and a lot more kind of being in it, uh, watching your position and awareness around you. Um, you know, so like, it's not just about the person with a disability. It's almost more about the person without a disability, who's really been included and, you know, having to impart their knowledge to everybody around the pitch to make sure that the game is played in the spirit of rugby. And it's just fun. You well, know? Nearly, answered, nearly answered all my questions there, but, I'm so used to this. I'm on a, I'm on a roll since you're last Brian, week. Brian, you're, you're on a roll. That's why I didn't want to interrupt you. But, yeah, say, you know, yeah. obviously, I saw you Dave Horgan, right? Like, mm. like 
he's a big lad. Two of us are big units, right? And yeah, yeah. Say, like, obviously me and Dave, if I was playing against Dave, we'd run at each other, right? But say, you know, someone like Stuart or whoever else on the Rebels team, like, how does that work out then? So, uh, as I said to you, Dave has to watch what's in front of him. So, okay. if he sees somebody visibly with, you know, Stuart has Down syndrome, um, yeah. and Stuart is coming at him, you know, he's not going to be running at the same pace as you're running at him. Um, and Dave, like, this is where, at the very start of every game, we have what's called, you know, the captains, the vice captains get together with the ref and they have a, a chat. And you kind of say, look, take it easy on our, our number six yeah. there. Take it easy. You know, we, we have a couple of, and we'll, we'll call easy or slow ball if you wanted to pull in. So there's, as I said to you, there's so much communication. There's actually, you have the ref who manages the game, but you also have the experienced players who talk over and back to each other on both sides of the team. And like, it, it, it's amazing. Almost when another team scores, you're almost celebrating it as well too. <laughs> Yeah, it's an achievement for both teams. I know, and that's not taken away from the competitiveness and the, and the edge of it. But like, what what that means is like, you know, like the, there was uh, one of the chaps there, Keen, uh, started playing with us, a twenty one year old fella from came in from Muskry, and uh, in the final, this we played against Ashwa Vikings. Very, they've only started their their journey to Canadians, um, so we were ten nil up in the final, and there was one of the guys made a run, their guys made a break. And he noticed and recognized that this was somebody who visibly had a, a disability. The time was clocking down. So in order to make sense of the board, like he literally kind of guided him and, and nudged one or two other players out of the way that were going to make a tackle and just brought him over the line. And the biggest cheer, there was 5,000 people at that final um, at last Friday night. And the biggest cheer w- was for that try. And I've looked back at it since. And I think for a 21-year-old man to have that level of awareness of what this meant to another person it, like that's magic Jesus like that's what sport is about like that's like that's he, he can score as many tries as he can he get as many AIL caps as he can but he's never going to top that moment ever no I know I, I think I kind of get you now yeah it's like so like there's common sense and there's participation yeah. and there's fun like you know obviously myself and Dave would be able to go out of hell for oh, you, you, you can have your ding dong yeah definitely yeah, yeah. But then it's, and, yeah. and that yeah, as you said, it's heads up then, like obviously, and then if yeah. someone like Stuart or someone with Down syndrome or whatever, you try, yeah, and somebody with a visible like disability, that, like that. Try, I think, who scored it? Was it? I see Dave James, or, James, 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 like James is James is a mat, like James is well able. See, that's the thing, there are people, James is able to give and take a tackle. You know, and, and he has been like, like, I mean, Jesus, that's up for, for try the season. Like he literally, like what a step he made. He, like uh, Davey left him off uh, uh, like at the, tw- was it inside the, inside our own half. And he ran the length of the try line and he was coming up against their full back and he switched the ball from one hand to the other and stepped and switched the back in again and, and carried on. But like you're talking like James's story is quite unique in terms of James um, as a young man, he, he, a young child. He fell out of his upstairs window um, and has, you know, was on a, a life support for 21 days. Um, he's, as he said himself, me, me mum and dad wouldn't leave me turning it off, you know, and, and he was born to play rugby. But he, he's such a like a stocky build and a low center of gravity. It's hard to catch him. So yeah. he's perfect for rugby. Like he's, you know, and, and that's the thing is, and then you have his buddy, Danny, who's taller than you, six foot something, and just can't get down, you know, to the ground, but he, he can drive a shoulder. Uh, and, you know, so all these skills that, that the guys have been developing, you think about it, if you have a disability or something like that, you're generally not going to get that contact 
you know, like even put it, you're not going to get a hug. You probably mightn't even have a girlfriend or whatever. So you mightn't get that intimacy of, of you know, yeah. touch. Um, you know, you, you've seen it when you did the charity box. So, you know, it's great to throw a punch at somebody and get it one landed on you as well, too. There's that kind of connection. But yeah. even in rugby, it's that tackle. It's that part of the nutrition. You, you can imagine the amount of, uh, like, you know, us release of, 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 of just anger or whatever is going on and somebody that just goes out in the rug pitch and yeah. lads come off and have the points and have the crack you know yeah. and that's that's probably the most important part so so no it, 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 obviously look up that try obviously there was a great one as you'll see it on oh, you yeah. and obviously um i kind of understand world, world rugby world rugby actually uh saw that. It. yeah i yeah. saw that that was another question i wanted to ask you because um I, I see the Irish Rugby Twitter account were sharing stuff as well, and they really got yeah. reminded. But at the start, you had difficulty explaining the sport to them, didn't you? Well, I suppose the journey was kind of, like, it was strange. As I said to you, like, you mean, Jesus, why would you put people who are vulnerable and weak within a contact sport like rugby? Madness. It's absolute lunacy. And going back them years, it was smack bang in the middle of the uh, concussion. Uh, you know, all that kind of awareness around that. So you can imagine, like, they were like, no, don't touch this with a barge pole. Um, but look, I suppose I, I stuck to my guns and we stuck to our guns in terms of, like, the club Sunday as well were brilliant. Like, I mean, Sunday as well literally said, this is the right it. thing to do. Yeah. They didn't fully understand it, but they just got behind it because they knew there was something right about it. And I suppose if you think about the rights of an individual and an individual with a disability, their rights are to partake in community-based sport wherever it is. And that's enshrined in UN law, the whole lot. So I knew all of that. <laughs> um, the IRFU, I suppose, when you think about it, it's not their core business. It never was. Do you know what I mean? Their core business is the elite guys, the guys of Six Nations. That's what brings in the cash. That's understandable with any sport, you know, because the silo goes up this way. It goes up to kind of how many people can we bring to the elite level? And at, we were at the real bottom rung of the ladder, do you know? But, you know, it, it was so important to persevere persevere in a way that they would come with us rather than you know jump on a soapbox and say here you're discriminating against a certain section of society that would have got us nowhere and it wouldn't have worked at all um we just would have you know end up in loggerheads and backs up and you we wouldn't be where we are now today so we engaged with a pilot project through the spirit program in, in uh the rfu through Anne marie hughes she's the spirit manager um and that way we were able to give our knowledge of what we had learned um, at that time, we were working with the Italian Rugby Federation on a European project, um, to, you know, to develop the whole uh, toolkit of and the, the knowledge transfer of how this works. I'm working with international mixed ability sports, uh, a couple of lads based out of Bradford who actually started the very first uh, mixed ability rugby tournament back in 2015. Um, so like we had academics and all that kind of stuff and we were able to give the research, the data and the evidence that like the level of attrition is far lower than the community game, you know, at, at junior level, whatever it is that you're, you're not running at each other at the same pace, you know. Um, so they brought that on board and, you know, we, we got a couple other teams going one uh, in De La Salle, uh, the DLSB Vikings and up in Banbridge and Malone and the West Cork Jesters. They're, they're lunatics altogether. They're a great crew. I think uh, I think they emptied all the pockets out of everybody in, in West Cork to come to the city for the week. They got some great support. Oh, Jesus, they got some great support. Um, and then we had our very first women's team, Ballon Colleagues. So I suppose we worked with them. Um, and to the extent, I, I actually sit as the, the chair of the disability working group for the RFU and sit on spirit. And that influence then, I suppose, 
created that position for Dave McKay, who's the Disability and Inclusion Officer. So, look, we've a lot to kind of, I suppose, tip our hats to in terms of how we went about our business and we went about the right way. Um, and then the RFU came back around and they were actually tournament directors for the tournament and, and helped us run the tournament. Um, everything from disciplinary committee, you know, pitch marshals, all of that. They selected, I think it was six to 17 um, referees um, had to go through a selection process and apply to be a referees at IMAR Cork 2022 through um, the director of the referees um, within the IRFU. So they came from each of the each of the four branches. So that was fantastic level of support when you think about it from where no. we started. No, it was even get a game. Like even like uh, like it was great. You could see it up in the Irish rugby social, and like I don't think it it got in the way because there was no Six Nations on. You know, the, the summer tour starts now, but yeah. it was perfect timing. Like you know, to give this the most publicity that it deserved. Like you know, but the the, the last two questions I want to ask Alan is that like the IMR. Then, like, how did it like come about? Because that must have taken up a hell of a lot, a hell of a hell of a lot of organising. And I see, like, you had the T-shirt, me all Martin, you Simon Coveney there. Like, the, some of the pictures and videos did last a lifetime. Like, you know. So look, we would have originally applied to host. We went to the very first uh, mixed village tournament in Bradford, and that was off the back of the World Cup in England, twenty fifteen. I think it was probably our fifth game ever, and we won the World Cup. Like you know, well, we had a good old side, you know. Uh, we we parachuted Mick Minan and a few of the boys in yeah. midweek, you know. Um, and then the next tournament was due to be held in twenty seventeen. We actually applied for that, but we, do you know, what? we didn't have our ducks in a row. We didn't really have the, the we weren't there yet with, with the union and stuff like that. Um, and we were still the only team in Ireland at that point. Um, so that went to Victoria Castelli, which is the Basque capital of Spain. And they they hosted a fantastic tournament, you know, summer, almost summer kind of festival rugby. Um, and then we applied to host it in 2022. And sure, look, we all know what happened then. Um, yeah. We were we were at the, the committee, uh, IRFU committee meeting up in Armagh, the they just as they were cancelling the Italian Six Nations game, um, you know, we were invited up to present and and show the, what we we're going to do to the whole professional board and committee, um, and you know, we were driving up to our mouths like, what's we wasting our time here? We knew it was going to be pulled, you know, but we went up anyway. But at that meeting, they, you know, uh, Nicky Cummin, who was our club man from Sun as well, who was current president, and Des Kavanagh, who is now the current president you know they gave us their own uh, like you know their support from from the rfu to go ahead with it so i suppose we had that um we were lucky to see, when it got shelved we were able to put it on ice and all that kind of stuff we had a good team behind us a good project team um you know we ruth fuller from fuller marketing we had annette cullen she was a project manager and Liam mar and you know a couple of other guys sean loftus and good good club men you know they were behind us and stuff like that um and we, we like we were able to pick it up again in January this year. Um, we were lucky we had funding from the European Union um, through Erasmus Plus for Sport, and also we had fantastic um, sponsors like of Smurfit Kappa, Lea, Permanent TSB, you know, uh, Heineken Ireland, and you know, right down to like you know, the likes of you know, the, the city council getting behind us, KPMG, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, so we had that like from a really high level support to corporate right down to just the lad who gave us 50 quid. Yeah. Um, so it was mighty that we were able to have that back in because we, we had to, with 28 teams, 
from all over the world, from 14 different nations, from the faraways, Argentina, Ecuador, Canada, you know, all the home nations, the Italians, the, the Belgians, Spain, um, you know, like it was a big undertaking. We had 100, 1,100 beds booked in UCC. It was the week the students are gone and the week the students are, the summer schools are starting. So we just had that little window to do it in. Um, we transported them from the airports. We fed them. Uh, we entertained them. Heineken set up the third half bar in the car park. It was, uh, Clancy's came in with the music. It just rocked for, it was like a real rugby festival. Um, and like, you know, we were able to, to put on that because we got the good financial back. And I suppose people bought into the idea. And when they got there, I suppose, like yourself, Nev, you know, you'd be, you'd wonder what mixed ability is about, but the, the only reason you really know about it is because you've seen it. Yeah. You've seen the lads out training Friday night. You've seen them play matches. And I suppose you can, you can tell somebody about it. You can show them, but until they experience it, they're not really going to know what it is. So that's something that like, you know, for your listeners and for viewers, like, you know, it, it's something that like, they might be wondering, what is this all about? But there's so much content up in social uh, at the moment, just go look at it and and you get a good sense of what it is. It's, it's real rugby, you know? No, I think, um, no, definitely. If you look at, I, I, like even that guy that scored a try in the wheelchair, you know, that was a lovely moment, like, you know, but anyone listening, I'd advise them to go back and, what is it, the Sunday as well, Rebel page or the IMAR page? So just, just uh, you can just, um, on socials, just, uh, uh, you know, even if you put in the hashtag IMAR2020, you'll, you'll get all what whatever's up. We're on Twitter, uh, IMAR World Cup on Facebook, on YouTube, on uh, um, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we're hitting TikTok big time. Yeah. Um and then look, just in terms of, you know, information, you know, about kind of mixability, there's uh, in mixabilitysports.org, you know, there's a fountain of information on that, um, you know, and then I suppose the next part of it is is myself, you know, contact, just get 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 in touch with me for, for those within Ireland, because I suppose very what's conscious. The what's the plan next now? Yeah, Alan. Yeah. I haven't had much time to, to rest. <laughs> yeah, anyway. oh, sure. I, remember, I remember I met you and you said, you took yeah. you give up your job for the year, like, and you really, yeah. but like, but now obviously that that was such a great success. Obviously, the goal is to try and push it on and get bigger and better, like, you know, or what's next in the plan, you know. So, like, we were luckily over, over the, the, the tournament, we were able to host a conference about kind of, and we got good good experts in the various areas of sport, you know, in terms of education, in terms of health, and in terms of, you know, policy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we also were able to showcase mixed ability in other sports. And the FAI got on board with us during the week. Uh, during that weekend, they held a, a four-team showcase tournament. So you can imagine if this is, if we prove that this has worked in, in a sport, like a, a hard contact sport like rugby, imagine what this could do in a global sport like like football it, it would just explode we also had a our very first mixed ability rowing regatta with a cork rowing uh, regatta committee and the uh rowing ireland where we brought over two teams from england and, and a team from it, italy so it, it's so transferable to any sport everything anything we had mixed ability boxing where there's a, a company a crowd from england called unorthodox who worked with uh our, our buddies in Toker Boxing Club, um, just kind of, you know, pad work and all that kind of stuff, but in an integrated way, you know, let, letting people know that these sports are available to them. So the next steps are like, you know, so Mixed Ability Sports Ireland, and that's a, a company that I've set up in, in terms of to promote Mixed Ability Sports across the island of Ireland. Um, and with that, I'm working with um, a couple of the guys who are on the team who I would class as our experts 
just by experience because they have the lived experience of having a disability. They know what it's like. They're the experts that can talk all about this. So for that, we we work with corporate sector, we work with uh, schools, we work with universities, and we work with sports clubs and, and sporting organizations, just promoting the whole concept of mixed ability and how that this is what we learned on the rugby field can work across sport, but also in life. Um, and that said, like, you know, the likes of employment, you know, supporting employers to actually hire people with disabilities so that they like, I mean, we've had that like a good few of our team now have jobs and it's just off the back of people seeing their ability rather than seeing the disability. And, you know, we help employers with, with all of that as well, too. So there's a massive movement around this. I suppose I need to capitalize on the 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 uh, the whole impact of, of the tournament. Uh, and, you know, I will be going out there looking and hoping to secure funding. And if there's anybody out there that, you know, uh, corporate or anything that would like to kind of get behind this you know there are a number of the, the, the sponsors we have that we'll be talking to at the moment around kind of this whole you know everybody talks about diversity and inclusion and are you know the in the environment and what their what their impact of the environment like it's grand you can have cardboard co- uh, recycled coffee cups and, and a fleet of diesel vans out the back um you know you could tick that box but the social that you know how how do you create a good society it's very it's a lot harder to tick that box but like we've shown that you can do this in a community setting um in a very simple manner through sport and by not overly complicating things by changing the rules and the shape of something and not like having the the pressure say on the likes of dave dave is not a volunteer on this team dave plays with the seniors he comes down to play with the, the Rebels because he's playing with a team. He's just a teammate with, with, with Stuart who has Down syndrome or whatever, but he's not there as a volunteer. And I think that's a big thing. If, you know, the pressure's not on him to, to, to make sure he's there the whole time. He's there because he wants to be there and he wants to be part of the team. And in essence, that's exactly what, you know, uh, inclusion is about. It's about everybody kind of being on a level, uh, not somebody, not a them and us situation. Um, you know, I remember I'll give you one, leave you one this one anyway. One of our our, our uh, junior players or our stalwarts would have came to me and he would have said, uh, "What do we call them?" And I said, "You call him by his effing name." And he said, "Grand." And I think that was inclusion for him because he understood that. And after that, it was fine. Everything was fine. You know, yeah. it, it's getting at people's level and cutting yeah. all the jargon out of it. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great, Alan. I I tip my hat to you and fair play to you. And uh, no, definitely. And give it to us there again. Where can you check out all this stuff online if you want to so, look? So, uh, if you want to look at some of the stuff in the tournament, it's uh, across all the socials at IMARC World Cup. Uh, and we also have a website, imarcworldcup.org. If you want to learn more about mix- some of the stuff back from the tournament. Also, if you want to learn more about mixability, log on to mixabilitysport.org. And you can also contact me on my email at Alan Cropwell. Uh, at mixedabilitysport.org I can link it up into your whatever yeah, profiles you have there Nev and we can we can share from there I'll, I'll put it up on the on our social media yeah but yeah. Uh, no cheers to that Alan and uh, thanks a million for coming on the pod cheers Nev um, and away the well away the well no bother Alan cheers to that lad thanks Will and thanks for listening and thanks again to Munster and Irish prop John Ryan I wish John all the best with wasps um, you know I would have played rugby with John but you see really sound guy and a really good rugby player and you know it's great to see how well he's done and uh, good luck to him and also thanks thanks to Alan Crockwell you know what an unbelievable thing he's done there with the mixed ability rugby you know I know he had 
problems when he was trying to get that off the ground first. But if you looked at some of the stuff on social media, it was just brilliant. So thanks to John and thanks to Anil again for coming on the pod. Remember, this podcast is coming live from Gettigan's in Dubai, where I'll be for the summer. So come on in. I'll be watching all the matches on the big screen in there. Come in, give me your opinion on any of the matches, and I'll put you up on any of the uh, up, up, up on any of the pages. So um, until next time, remember you can get this podcast on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcast. Until next time, where I'll have someone else in the world of sport on. I'm Neville Donu. Thanks for listening, and I'm out of here.